Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Thursday, October 8th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. The Islamic scholars who beat Darwin to the punch by about a thousand years. A cool site for finding new books to read. The world's largest Ouija board. And naked celebrities teaching us about naked ballots. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Beginning today with yet another entry into the sorry white people you weren't the first to do that category. Islamic scholars were writing about natural selection about a thousand years before Charles Darwin. Now, this also might be a white person problem that I don't know this, but you know, most of our schools here in the US, even at the university level, only teach us about Darwin with maybe a passing mention of Alfred Russell Wallace, the naturalist who had some of the same ideas independently from Darwin around the same time, they would ultimately publish together, but the original thoughts did happen separately. But of course, Wallace and Darwin will only get mentioned if the school even teaches evolution, which I'm happy to report my Texas high school actually did, even if it was accompanied by my teacher reading a copy of the court document requiring her by state law to teach it before she started the lecture, and if several students did start arguing with her about how the Bible disagrees and creationism is the only real explanation for why we're here. But anyways, just like Wallace and Darwin conceived of the idea of natural selection independently of one another, so too did many scholars around the world and over the years before them. Chief among those and first on record that we have to introduce ideas relating to evolution was Al-Jahiz. Al-Jahiz was an 8th century Muslim zoologist from Iraq known for Kitab al-Haywan, or The Book of Animals, a seven-volume tome based on his extensive observation of different organisms. From his many years of studying animals and their characteristics, Al-Jahiz surmised that environmental conditions were a driving factor in organisms differing from one another, as they developed new traits to survive in their environments. Al-Jahiz also believed that animals evolved with the help of God, and that God wanted to keep nature in order. Al-Jahiz described a natural selection process resulting from an animal's innate desire to live, stating that biological fitness is essential to this phenomenon. According to a 2017 paper on the untold history of pre-Darwinian Muslim scholars by Rui Diogo, an assistant professor at Howard University, he observed that individuals of the same species struggle against each other and that the stronger, more adapted species prevail with lesser mortality rates, end quote. 
And one quick unrelated footnote about Al-Jahiz. It's rumored that he died when one of the many large stacks of books in his private library fell over on top of him and killed him instantly. And I, I just have so many feelings and reactions to that. Mostly a feeling that I should really buy another bookshelf before the same fate befalls me. But anyways, though he's first on record, Al-Jahiz wasn't the only one. Diogo's paper covers the work of almost a dozen other Muslim scholars from Al-Jahiz's time to Darwin's time. Others like, quoting again, Abu al-Rayhan Muhammad ibn Ahmad al-Biruni, who lived 800 years before Darwin, believed that man migrated through the kingdoms of minerals, plants, and animals in order to reach perfection and therefore contains within himself the nature of the creatures of the other realms. He thought that monkeys were the creature that man had migrated from before becoming human. Ibn Khaldun, a 14th century North African Muslim thinker, wrote, It started out from the minerals and progressed in an ingenious, gradual manner to plants and animals. The animal world then widens, its species become numerous, and in a gradual process of creation, it finally leads to man, who is able to think and to reflect. Diogo and his colleagues wrote that Ibn Khaldun rejected the belief that dark skin was a curse inflicted upon sinful human beings, and that there was a causal relationship between hot southern climates and dark pigmentation, an idea now known to be correct. Ibn Miskaway, a 10th century Persian Muslim philosopher, wrote about how he believed humans evolved from other animals, but that God had granted intellect to humans alone. End quote. And Sayyid Ahmad Khan, a 19th century Muslim scholar in India who was a contemporary supporter of Darwin's, notably stated that evolutionary belief was not in conflict with Islam or with the writings in the Quran because the process was guided by a divine figure. Now, importantly, Salman Hamid, the director of the Center for the Study of Science in Muslim Societies at Hampshire College, points out that there's no evidence Darwin was aware of these other scholars or their work. He wasn't stealing from them or intentionally trying to take credit for something they'd already done. But Hamid says, quote, I think it's good for students to know that other societies have thought about these things. I think it enriches our story of science. The story of science, in some sense, should be a story of humans, not a story of a couple of individuals coming up with these great things, but a human endeavor, end quote. And I wholeheartedly agree. Discoveries and major shifts in thinking never happen in a vacuum. Scientists are inspired implicitly and explicitly by generations of work that came before them, by collaborating with their contemporaries and tweaking what is already out there. Society's way of thinking writ large doesn't change because one paper is published. Change is a gradual process, and almost all of the work that pushes it is collaborative. Simplifying history to paint individuals as solely responsible for major changes in the world does a disservice to every other person who played a part over time. It feeds into an often unattainable idea of singular, unassisted genius and alienates the many who don't see themselves or their beliefs reflected back in that one person and ergo their discoveries. Even though there may have been many like them behind the scenes or in support of the work in other ways. Recognizing the many different people and different types of people who are involved in the creation or discovery of something can make that thing less polarizing in its reception over time. As Professor Diogo said of the impact including these other scholars in the history of evolution has on Darwin, quote, 
It makes him bigger, not smaller. End quote. I've got a cool website that I want to share with you today, one that's new to me at least, but I think it's actually been around for about a decade, which is impressive, honestly, that it's still going. It is called Witchbook. That is W-I-C-H, Witchbook, not W-I-T-C-H, like a site devoted to magical spellbooks. On which book you can find the next book that you want to read, but it is not a matter of looking up one particular book and then seeing similar recommendations, like you might on Goodreads or a bookstore's website. In fact, you can't search by title or author at all. Instead, you search by emotion, by where in the world the book is set, by types of plot, or by types of characters. And the mood and emotion options get pretty detailed, with a slider for each option so you can pick how much or how little of something you want. Like where on the scale between happy and sad you want the book to be. More gentle or more violent. Conventional to unusual. Sex or no sex. And also how long or short the book is. You can also choose a plot with conflict. Lots of twists and turns. One with a big revelation and more. And beyond all of those different options that you can choose, you can also save your searches to share them. And the site itself has some suggestions to get you started, which kind of remind me of those hyper-specific Netflix recommendations. Some on which book's homepage include Happy Books to Cheer You Up, Disgusting Books to Shock You, Violent Books from Slapstick to Depravity, Excellent Books About Middle-Aged Characters, and safe books to keep you warm. And when you do ultimately pick out a book, there are links to check it out at your local library or purchase the book. But an important note, the site is based in the United Kingdom, so if you are not from there, it just takes you to WorldCat, which I've found in the past is hit or miss for actually accessing the catalog of your local public library here in the U.S., and being that it is based in the U.K., if you are American, like I believe the majority of our listeners are, it may be missing a lot of authors you're familiar with, but that is kind of the point, you know, helping you find books you haven't heard of before. Which book calls their site an unexpected and serendipitous way to find or recommend books? And I've got to agree that it is a refreshing way to search that helps you go beyond any filter bubbles that may have been created in your usual recommendations. So I saw a tweet yesterday from Rob Alam that said, quote, Imagine what you could summon with the world's largest Ouija board, end quote. And indeed, attached to the tweet were two photos of what it turns out is the world's largest Ouija board. This tweet got about the same response as the tweets a few days ago from Egypt's Ministry of Antiquities, who just opened all of those sarcophagi for the first time in 2600 years. That is to say, what the heck are you doing? Don't you see how this year is already going? Don't tempt fate. But I have good news for everyone. While the Ouija board pictured was indeed real and currently holds the record for world's largest, the photos were from 2019 and it has since been dismantled. I think. And actually, reading this over again, I'm wondering if this 2019 installation is responsible for 2020. Oh man, I'd better not go down that rabbit hole. Anyways, the board was installed this time last year in Salem, Massachusetts, which might seem completely obvious. 
The site of the 1692 witch trials has become more and more of a hotspot for spooky tourism over the recent decades. But while that probably helped them get the clearance to do the installation, it's actually not the whole reason. Ouija boards used to be manufactured in Salem, starting when game makers Parker Brothers bought the Ouija board from the Fold family in 1966, and they were made there until Hasbro bought the Ouija boards in 1991. But while Witch City was still Ouija board central, it was the place that first introduced one Rick or Mortis Shrek to Ouija boards. And that is Shrek spelled S-C-H-R-E-C-K, which I could be pronouncing incorrectly, but you know what? I choose to believe that the man who created the world's largest Ouija board is named Shrek because of course he would be. Anyways, Shrek would go on to become vice president of the Talking Boards Historical Society, as well as a tattoo artist, and then the creator of the world's largest Ouija board, which has been dubbed Ouijazilla. Quoting Mental Floss, it weighs 9,000 pounds and covers 3,168 square feet, as big a footprint as five 18-wheelers. According to Popular Mechanics, the board took 99 pieces of plywood, 20 quarts of black paint, several gallons of deck stain, and one whole year to complete. It contains all the classic elements of a traditional Ouija board, including the full alphabet, numbers 0 through 9, and the words yes, no, and goodbye. Instead of using their fingers to move the planchette across the board, a few people stand inside the 400-pound planchette's circular cutout and shuffle their way into a seance. End quote. And it didn't just set the world record for largest Ouija board. There was a precedent to be broken— in 2016, a Ouija board installed on the roof of the Grand Midway Hotel in Winbur, Pennsylvania was declared the largest. Tough luck for the Grand Midway, though, because Ouijazilla is nearly two and a half times as big. That'll be difficult to compete against, especially when you're working with the limited space of a rooftop. In addition to being inducted by Ripley's Believe It or Not last year after its October debut, Ouijazilla appears in Ripley's latest book, Mind Blown, which might explain why its existence is doing the rounds on social media again. I personally am just super bummed and a little bit confused because I was in Salem two days after Ouijazilla debuted last year, and I have no clue how I missed it. From what I can tell, based on the wording of several social media posts, Ouijazilla is no longer there in Salem, but I would be happy to be proven wrong on that because I would love to see it one day. And maybe it's just been disassembled and will be reanimated again somewhere else one day when the spirit calls upon it. Lastly today, Represent Us, the nonprofit dedicated to fighting political corruption, gathered up a bunch of their famous friends, asked them to get naked, and posted a video of them for democracy. It is a video raising awareness about naked ballots, aka when mail-in ballots are sent back inside of only one of the provided envelopes and not both the normal one and the secrecy one. Which is a mistake I would have made in the primaries this year if I hadn't literally had my friend who was a poll worker sitting beside me while I did it. The AV Club called this video hilariously condescending, but as I can attest to, accidentally sending in naked ballots is a real problem, even for adults like me who fastidiously read all the instructions. 
Fortunately for me here in New York, one of the 16 states that uses secrecy envelopes, my ballot would have most likely still been counted if my friend hadn't caught my error. But in Pennsylvania, the state's Supreme Court just ruled that naked ballots will not be counted. And that specific ruling is part of what led to this video. So, to raise awareness about reading the instructions on mail-in ballots and making sure to follow all of the redundant and unintuitive rules so that your vote can be counted, folks like Mark Ruffalo, Sarah Silverman, Chris Rock, Josh Gad, Tiffany Haddish, and even Borat made a nude video. Actually, Borat kept his suit on. And while he's funny, that bit of cross-promo for his upcoming movie actually kind of made me cringe more than the whole video concept overall. Also, by the way, this video wasn't posted on Pornhub or OnlyFans or anything, so you don't ever see anyone's bits. Although, Sarah Silverman and Chelsea Handler get close if it weren't for some well-placed pixelization. Also, I think this could be a subtle follow-up to the star-studded 2016 video made by Save the Day and hosted by Robert Downey Jr., in which a slew of celebrities claimed that if we went out and voted, Mark Ruffalo would do a full frontal nude scene in his next movie. Instead of that, we got this. Which, honestly, is probably what we deserve. That's it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go ask the Ouija board how the election is going to turn out. Sure, that won't be scary at all. I hope you are all having a good rest of your day, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. 